In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let us begin our prayer today by picturing again that most famous scene of Mary praying in her room in Nazareth and suddenly receiving this extraordinary visit from that celestial being, an angel of God, who tells her that she will indeed be the mother of God. It's been represented so many times and we can easily conjure it up. And as you know, she is troubled, but he calms her and tells her that she will bear a son that she will name Jesus. And something characteristic about him is that he will reign. Indeed, he will be a king and he will have royal authority. He says he will reign over Jacob's descendants. He will indeed have a royal throne. Now, the church has traditionally sung this in a hymn in Latin, the hymn that the angel really gave the words for, when she says, Dabit illi dominus Deus sedem David, patri eius, et regnavit in domo Jacob in eternum, et regni eius non erit finis. Alleluia. I'm sure you understood that Latin. It's a beautiful hymn, often sung over and over by monks in the monasteries. And they were not the script writers. They didn't write the script. They just wrote the music to go with it. Because we know it was an angel himself who came down, came up with those words that many have sung and prayed. In English, the Lord God will give him, speaking about Jesus, will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end or his kingdom of his kingdom will n have no end so that's uh, those are the words we can start today on this solemnity of Christ the king because it's a it's a promise of this mysterious reign this kingdom that will take place in the future he was going to be the heir and we already know that you know who will reign we have no doubt that he will reign. We're not like in the election where it's like practically a flip of the coin or there are all these polls and predictions and then there are recounts and we're not sure who is really the one who is to reign. But plus, the angel said that this kingdom, well, it will have no end. And God will give him the throne of King David. But first, when Jesus was born, of course he had to be a child totally dependent on his mother. Indeed, sometimes during Christmas, you see paintings of the child Jesus there in the crib or even held in his mother's arms, and he's often wearing a crown, sometimes a crown surrounded by a halo. But for those seeing this child back then, well, he wasn't wearing a crown back then. That's just in paintings. But as a child in the crib or, you know, in the manger, Jesus was not actually wearing a crown. That's just to tell us that he really is a king. And so the kingship of Christ 
remained completely hidden until he was like 30 years old. Years spent in an ordinary life there in Nazareth. Then, during his public life, Jesus inaugurated the new kingdom, which he said does not belong to this world. That's from John 18. It does not belong to this world. And finally, with his death and his resurrection, he will fully establish this kingdom. So though he was hidden, we like to picture him with a crown. The child, eh? with a crown. In fact, early depictions of the crucifixion did not show Jesus in agony or bleeding or like nails and all that. He, in fact, he would have been shown on a cross, but it was not a painful cross. He was more there, but like a king, wearing a crown, and also sometimes with a priest wearing the alb of a priest. But he wasn't there shown uh, in pain. This is like, like way in the early times. Eh? Sometimes he's even shown, uh, you know, as a young man on a donkey. The, the image I, I'm thinking of is the famous sarcophagus of Junius Bassus. It was originally placed under the old St. Peter's in the year 359. So Junius Bassus, who is this guy? Well, he's a, he was a pagan. He lived in Rome, but he converted to the faith. And he was the member of a senatorial family. And so he got this really, really nice sarcophagus in which he was buried. He was only 42 when he died. But like on this sarcophagus, you can look it up, Junius Bassus. It's a beautiful sarcophagus that is today in the Vatican Museum. And it's got two registers. And on the upper register, you see this, this young, youthful Christ together with Peter and with Paul. And it's a scene where you see what they call the traditio legis, the giving of the law. And this was a, a formula in Roman art to give a kind of a visual testament to the emperor as the sole source of the law. But Jesus is here, and he is the source of the law. So that's like on the upper register. And below the feet of Christ is the what they call the chalice. The chalice was a, a Roman figure representing uh, the heavens. It's a kind of like a bearded guy with sort of like wings. You know, you can look him up on that Junius Bassus uh, sarcophagus. And he's there in a position under Christ's feet, signifying that Christ is also, well, the ruler uh, of heaven. Whereas the traditio legis, the, the giving of the law, above conveys Christ's authority uh, like, you know, both in heaven and on earth. And there's even a, a scene of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem when he's on that uh, donkey. I recommend you go and look that up. Junius Bassus, a beautiful uh, sculpture. Well, it's, a, it's, a mar it's made out of marble. It's really, really beautiful. It's that, this classical style. Eh? And, of course, the early Christians, way back then in the 4th century, they were really interested in underlining Christ's reign using kind of like this pagan language and pagan iconography. And we too now, as we do our prayer, we too want to reign, we want Jesus to reign deeply in our hearts. Yet, it must really show outwardly, not in what we wear, outwardly in how we interact with others. Okay? Because in heaven, he will be 
truly a visible king. And in our prayer, we can say, Lord, indeed, you are my king. You must reign. You must reign in my heart. Like, you know, like when you came into Jerusalem on a humble donkey, I want to throw my cloak under you. It's a beautiful sign of my submission to your will. I'll give you all those things that I have that ensure my comfort, even my sense of stability, right? My warmth. And I'll let you trample on these things under your donkey so that I rely more, not on my things, not on my protective things, but on your will, so that your will is what really reigns in my heart. And perhaps I've become a little bit too sheltered in my own little world. Maybe I've become a kind of a control freak, so that everything has to go according to my plan, my provisions. But then I might lose sight of your divine plans for me. And I really want you to reign in my heart. And indeed, during Advent, you may want to be more purified. And indeed, I too want to be detached from my own will. Now, here's a passage from St. Josemaria's book, The Way of the Cross, from the 14th station, in which he goes into detail about the throne and about the crown. I read you now from that 14th station. He says, quote, Remembering that Christ's throne is the cross, his crown is made of thorns, the need for temperance, so that even our most basic feeling may be transformed into a hosanna to Christ the King, meaning a mortification. We must die through mortification and penance so that Christ may live in us through love. That's the, that's the quote. You know, so, like this idea, he's saying that that I offer the Lord uh, these hosannas. That is, we must be transformed like into a hosanna. Like those people who were acclaiming the Lord, who were sitting on a humble donkey. They were throwing their cloaks underneath so that he could tread softly. And every individual that was singing out or throwing his cloak, that each one of them was a hosanna. And together they, they sang hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, like, what is a hosanna? Hosanna is a word that was used in the Hebrew liturgy and then later in the Christian liturgy. It's kind of a shout of jubilation, a sign of respect and honor for he who saves. But also, it's kind of like a call for help. But in Jerusalem, it was especially a shout of praise and adoration, making a kind of recognition of Jesus as the Messiah. So that, well, now, in the 21st century now, we can continue that same procession, that same acclaim eh, that, that Jesus made as he entered Jerusalem, eh, seated on that donkey. Eh. We too can make these cries of these hosannas, maybe with a, a prayer, maybe with an act of penance, or just like a well-done genuflection, a well-piously-done pious, sign of the cross. But let's go further. There are so many hosannas that we could 
offer him to acknowledge him as our king, as those people did. Like we could offer him an act of temperance, like temperance with the use of our phone. That could be a Hosanna. Like imagine if you could just like, you and I, we could just like drop the phone after 8 p.m. and not touch it. Forget the text messages. No, I'm going to offer you that, that as a Hosanna. It'll keep me more in the presence of God. Or a Hosanna could be a gentle listening to somebody in the family. Or just being cheerful, even though we don't feel great. People need to see us cheerful. Or caring for those details at work, like punctuality, or concentration, or active participation, or just, I don't know, engagement in family get-togethers. Or not clicking on that clickbait while we're working, in which we would end up just wasting time. Or going to bed on time and avoiding the death scroll on our phone. Maybe nobody will notice this, but for us and for the Lord, it's like lying down a kind of a beautiful carpet for the donkey on which our Lord reigns from. Every time we put down our phone and don't take it up, it's a hosanna. You know, you know what I mean. It's like, it's like a mortification. Or if the doorbell rings and we're very busy and we go and open it and show that person a smile, that's like waving an olive branch when our Lord was you know, going through the streets of Jerusalem on a donkey. It's like an olive branch. So let's see all the hosannas that we can offer to the Lord. You know, in in the tales of these medieval battles, there were there were always in these intense battles comes a moment when the the people in the battle they have to take orderly ranks around the king, the archers and the cavalry, you know, they, they, they concentrate the battle, they, like they, they make like a circle around the king to make sure he's protected. Because that's where the final outcome of the battle will be decided. I mean, if the king dies, I mean, that's it. They, they've lost the battle. So the soldiers, they close in. They form a battle. And they're ready to die to protect their king. It's a beautiful, uh, heroic act. And for us to, well, the battle today is kind of taking place around our king. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, that is really what is at issue. And maybe our battle today is, I suppose, somewhat similar to the battles of the first centuries, the, you know, the Christological heresies. Right? The ancient church had to battle, you know, about the heresies uh, that were you know, being spread about who Christ really was. Is he really the universal savior? Is he really king? Is he God and man? You know, is he really the king of the universe? Or is he just some interesting religious leader that you can quote from? And we know he's much more than that. And so we must close in like those soldiers in those medieval battles and really let Christ have that decision power over how we make our decisions, how we act, and how we really, truly live a coherent life. Eh? And we must ask, where does he really rule in our heart? You know, and, and to finish, you know, think, 
of the more recent origins of the of this feast day of this solemnity. I think it dates to the nineteen twenties with uh, Pope Pius the uh, eleventh, as probably you have heard, because in the nineteen twenties in the world there was a great rise of secularism in which people increasingly lived their lives as if God didn't exist. And in certain places in the world, these dictatorships flourished, and many people were taken in by these earthly uh, leaders. And probably you're familiar with the case of Mexico, where there was an outright war against uh, the church. And it was really becoming impossible to practice normally. And those who did, well, were often lined up on firing squads eh? and often these people their last words were viva cristo rey you know long live christ the king you've probably heard about miguel pro who was shot by a firing squad with his arms ex- arms extended eh? viva cristo rey or this young jose sanchez del rio a young boy eh? who proved heroic viva Cristo Rey, or at times they would say, Viva Santa Maria de Guadalupe. Hmm? You know, long live Our Lady of Guadalupe. Imagine that if those were your last words. You know, Viva Cristo Rey. Imagine if that was, long live Christ the King. I'd love that to be my last words, but for that, He has to already reign now you know, in our hearts. We won't remember it unless He reigns now. And you know, St. Maria was deeply affected by the stories he heard in his time of those martyrs. It was a terrible crisis in the church. There were so many attacks, but this also made for great saints. That's why he wrote in the way, number 301, a secret, he said, an open secret. These world crises are crises of saints. And God wants a handful of men of his own in every human activity. And then, Pax Christi in Regno Christi, the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. Well, let us repeat this aspiration. Eh? Pax Christi in Regno Christi, eh? or Viva Cristo Rey. I invite you to repeat it just in your mind and offer that to the Lord who is King eh? so that we can live the time of Advent, which we're about to start, in a way that he really does indeed reign in our hearts, in our minds, and in our authentic behavior. We can thereby truly say, Regnare Christum Volumus. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your heart, I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Viva Cristo Rey.